You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, a church doctor with some fascinating insights about civility and the way we treat one another. You know, civility means respect. And it's a hot topic in our world of news media, the internet, and the way we act toward one another, even in the church. I've asked some very special people to read my book called Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master. For this series of episodes, I've interviewed different people from around the country. They have raised some amazing insights. I found these interviews to be absolutely fascinating, and I think you will too. My guest uh, for this podcast is Mitch Cruz, and uh, I want to thank you, Mitch, for reading the book, uh, Re Restoring Civility and Lessons from the Master, and uh, uh, I just uh, really respect you uh, and your uh, creativity, your Christian commitment, and uh, uh, I'd like to start by just asking you a little bit about yourself. What are you doing these days? Uh, what are you What are you doing with ministry and and all the rest? What's happening as you uh, weather the storm of the coronavirus? Well, um, I'm enjoying spending some time with my college uh, athlete daughter who uh, got sent home. She's usually gone about 11 months a year, so that's been wonderful. And then my high school daughter's still at home. And then we get to see our adult daughters and son-in-laws and our first grandchild, a baby girl, um, every now and then with the coronavirus. So that's been a blessing. Uh, at the same time, I, I try to write a devotional every week. I've written several during the coronavirus. <laughs> uh, I, uh, we're still producing a show a week. We've done about 500 episodes of the Restoration Road. It's on about 60 networks all over the world. And I have two or three more books I think I'm supposed to write, so I'll, I'll probably get to those soon. Um, I'm at a point probably where I'm reevaluating what God wants me to do next, and your book had a lot to do with that. At the end of the day, your whole life has been given to uh, making disciples. And when I look back and reflect on my life, I think the most powerful moments have been to invest in individuals. I see some of the girls that I've coached that are now doctors and surgeons and uh, active in the marketplace, ministry leaders, college coaches. I mean, it's just hard to believe, nurse practitioners. Um, and I think those were the most significant times. God's allowed me to lead several people to Christ. And uh, I see how their lives have been transformed and how they've become ministers. And so I'm reevaluating how to make sure, even though I feel like I'm a developer of content and a communicator of that content, how to be sure that I'm investing uh, in people's lives and making disciples who will make disciples, as the church doctor would say. <laughs> well, that's what God says first, you know. Uh, he uh, is the great multiplier. He wants to, when he formed uh, his movement through Jesus, that uh, movement was all about multiplication. And uh, that multiplication is a, is a powerful, powerful uh, dimension of, uh, of the kingdom of God. I wish uh, we could get more Christians focused on that. 
uh, might help the civility of our world. What do you think? <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the middle of this pandemic as we record this, uh, and um, it will pass in time. We're all praying for that anyway. I just uh, wondered if you had any thoughts about the COVID-19 virus has increased uh, our respect for one another or decreased it or both, depending on who we are and our values or what? I think in general, uh, it's increased our respect for one another and civility because we're all in it together as Americans, no matter what party affiliation you have. At the same time, uh, people are not going to agree on the strategies and the approaches that we take uh, to combat it. And um, I'm one that doesn't think you should kill the economy over it. <laughs> so I think there's a both and approach. And if we won't get there, your book is so timely, we won't get there unless we're civil about it and respect the other people's opinions. I just don't, I'm not a fan of the partisanship. I mean, I've grown up a particular way with the political affiliation and um, my dad was a state senator. And so I had a lot of that stuff ingrained in me early. Uh, but by the same t token, man, when you're, when you're part of advancing the kingdom of Christ, you realize that that's first and foremost, that's most important, and that'll never happen unless there's a solid relationship. And my whole life, I've had tons of friends and customers and vendors and peers who are have a lot of different uh, thoughts than I do, a lot of different perspectives than I do, and I've grown from that. And, and I love that, I love that diversity. It's not a big deal to me, um, but when it becomes uncivil I, I i don't like it I, I, I don't i don't like watching a show where people argue that's like not my thing um i'd much rather see people uh communicate connect and find solutions so uh how does that work for politicians these days <laughs> that's a great idea um great question um i think common ground is really the key we find uh where do our values really connect? And um, I had a congressman, this is a good question, I had a congressman tell me one time, we agree, both sides agree on almost 80% of the issues. He said it's the 20% where we, where we have some disagreement. And he said it, sometimes it just gets so unruly and you can't move forward. So I, I, I've never forgotten that because um, there is so much to agree upon. And so I like finding common ground and then building the bridge to be able to walk across. Well, while you're on that subject, I think uh, it's been a while since I wrote that book. Uh, you know, by the time a book is published, particularly that book, I, I don't know, it, it was the hardest and longest book uh, I've ever worked on. Uh, and I've, I've published a number of books, but um, I think we went through like 14, 15 edits I was sharing that with another guest on a podcast and how how many edits I went through. It's just like it was a huge, huge, it's almost like a battle. But anyway, while you're on that subject about, about civility, I think somewhere in the book I put, if I remember correctly, I put in there something about why is every newscast not 50% positive and 50% challenges um, or the negative, the, the problems that we have because there's way more positive goes on than the negative. So why do we report the news and, and, and you know, so much politics in the news, but it, it why is it that 99.5% uh, 
in most newscasts or newspapers or any news outlet tends to be negative. Does that seem fair to you? I just, I don't understand that. I think it's because fear sells. Um, there's been a study on what affects our brain. And if a newscast has something to do with fear or negativity, all of a sudden it captures our attention and they know that. And so that tends to be the focus. They gotta have that cognitive dissonance, so to speak, in order to get us going. And they're always trying to hit that part of the brain. Um, that's where I think wisdom and discernment that Solomon wrote about me <laughs> needs to happen because we have a plethora of information. We are the information age. We are constantly receiving information. But if we don't know how to discern, how to separate right from wrong, wise from foolish, long-term from short-term, walk from talk, we're going to have a real problem uh, processing that information. Hmm. So uh, as I uh, was writing this book in my own life, I had a, a number of adjustments. Uh, this is my confession moment <laughs> where I, I used to drive a couple miles an hour faster than the speed limit, knowing that you won't get pulled over for that. And uh, I, I, uh, a lot of people are surprised that I would even confess that because they wouldn't. Right. <laughs> but I'm not going to ask you. But, <laughs> but, but, but uh, okay, so, so uh, I, I, I decided, you know, that's just not a civil thing to do. That is not respectful. If civility is respect, that's not respectful to the law. That's not respectful to other people's lives. It's not even respectful to my own life. And so I thought to myself, I'm writing this book and I'm talking about all this stuff and look at what I'm doing. So I changed my life uh, in a number of areas, but this is one that is very visible to people because a lot of people could relate to it. Uh, and and uh, I, I just wonder what you think about, you know, what do you think the challenges that uh, we all have between reading about it, talking about it, and doing something about it. Well, that's uh, where the rubber meets the road. And uh, in my, what I processed as I was reading the book um, for civility needing to increase in my life is the nonverbal cues and the word choice that I use with those closest to me. I have four daughters and a wife. I'm surrounded by women. And um, oftentimes I'm shocked at how the auctioneer, coach, <laughs> preacher type voice comes out in those relationships, which really doesn't accomplish what in my default um, behaviors, I guess, think that they're gonna accomplish. So I've been reevaluating how I communicate. You know, Proverbs 15.1 says, uh, harsh words stirs up anger, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And there are so many times that I don't think I'm gentle enough in my tone. And I'm a, and I'm focused on it, not just as a student of the scriptures, but in, in my auctioneer life, I could never make a deal by, you know, using harsh tones. It just wasn't going to work. Um, people had to want to do business with you. So, um, I'm one who's cognizant of it, and it just makes me even go further in that regard. I really, I really don't want harshness or kind of that autopilot fallen nature to have mastery over me in my communication with those closest to me. 
Because at the end of the day, uh, you quoted John Maxwell in the book, but he, he said, I've changed my definition of success to those who know me best, love and respect me the most. And um, I think that's really uh, powerful, but it's also very easy to get away from. You've been doing some great work uh, with uh, the Restoration Road. Uh, would you talk a little bit about what that is for people that may not know about it, where they can get it, and also don't leave out what you mean when you use the word restoration. I was volunteering full-time as a teaching pastor at a local church, and our sermons were broadcast live on television, and I realized the power of that medium. So when I wrote my first book, Restoration Road, I developed a study guide and a DVD companion to go with it for small groups. And um, I was doing a book tour at some Christian television networks, and uh, the guy that led one of those asked me, um, what are you doing next? And I said, I think I'm going to start a television program. And I shared with him what I just shared with you. He had watched my companion DVD <laughs> in its entirety, like not just to go through the study, study guide. He just watched it, chapter one, chapter two, chapter And he told me, he said, I'm telling you, we will not only air that show if you produce a television program. He said, we will, I've been praying for that. So I filmed 13 shows just to see. Uh, what the traction would be. And now we're up to 500 shows. I teach the Bible through stories of restoration to connect culture with Christ. Um, they're all online at mitchcruz.com or therestorationroad.com. And um, the impact that it's had all over the world, it's, it's on our local ABC and NBC affiliates in Fort Wayne, and then it's on uh, Christian networks throughout the world. And uh, it, it's amazing to me that the Holy Spirit who's involved at the preparation of the message or the show is the same Holy Spirit that's at work in the person who sees the show whenever they see it. It may be a year from now. It may be a year from then. But it's, he, he is the one who uh, provides the impact in people's lives. And it, it, it's, it's really, really cool. But what I'm evaluating now is about 12 years ago when I started this, um, television was the way to go and the social media was just getting going and the internet um, was a piece of it to draw people to the television program. But I had a guy tell me when, it, when I started and he said, um, your television program is going to drive people to the internet and be that kind of tool. It's not going to be, it's going to, it's going to go like this. He said, it's not going to be the internet driving people to the television program. So what I'm looking at now is basically almost for free. I can do what I'm doing with a television program and I can do it on social media, um, online and have them be shorter segments and maybe reach a, a broader audience that way. Uh, my daughter at Liberty University is majoring in strategic communications and she's just done a, a evaluation of my whole ministry and how to reach younger people. So I, I, that's where I'm focusing now is, is how are we gonna reach that next generation? And the restoring concept, could you unpack that some more? Um, sure. Restoration is to be made new again. And that happens in three steps. And it's just like a classic car owner taking his car to uh, the restorer. And the first step is he surrenders the old basket case of the car. We surrender our old basket case of a life 
to the restorer. And we do that by saying, I can't, you can. I can't is repentance, you can is faith. And the step two is the restorer, when he gets a class of cars, he restores it piece by piece. Um, and that's what happens when we come to the Holy Spirit, to Christ, that he restores us piece by piece. And as he's taken us apart, we're going to uh, follow that big I can't, you can with a bunch of little I can't, you can. And um, he restores the pieces. So we surrender, we, we surrender the old, we surrender the pieces. And then third, we surrender the new. Um, Restoration Road is sometimes two steps forward, one step back. And uh, we surrender our, our new uh, triumphs. It's like when a classic car is taken to a show and it wins, it's judged 100 points, all credits given to the restorer. But when uh, it goes to the show, it's going to get dinged, torn, worn, tattered, and faded. And it's another opportunity to go back to the one who makes things new. Um, so that's what happens when Christ restores us. He reassembles us, puts us back together, and we find that our ultimate value is in bringing his restoration to others. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. When, uh, when I was working on this book, uh, you know, I, I went through it, and I went through the scripture, uh, not, that, not for the first time, but <laughs> for the first time from the angle, from the, from the, the microscope of civility, and I was absolutely amazed, uh, even after all these years of preaching and teaching and writing uh, from the scripture, I was just blown away by the fact that, that the scripture had so much to say. Even I mean, even I was surprised that it had so much to say about respect for one another, respect for God, uh, and, and how we uh, uh, have that, that care for one another, that, that civility, uh, and, and so I just wondered as, as uh, I had a lot of scriptures in there uh, in, the, in the book that uh, even surprised me of how, how helpful they were just in my own life, let alone for the book. Any of the scriptures uh, that, uh, that were teaching in the book, Civility, uh, that provided a new insight for you uh, personally? It did. It's 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3 in the message. Uh, it says it so much differently. Eugene Peterson says it differently than uh, I had memorized in the NIV. But uh, the concept of knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And uh, I think the way Eugene Peterson says it is you're not going to get anything figured out if you don't have it figured out with God first. And that's kind of like verse 3. It's very similar to to the Galatians verse. If anybody thinks he is something, you know, and he's nothing, he deceives himself. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought that was really powerful. I love your passages from the message. They, they really just had me see the scriptures in, in a new way, uh, a, a new application for them for me. A lot of people, uh, when my travel and when I'm consulting churches, they'll ask me what my favorite Bible version is. I'm sure you get that too. I always have, I have a stack answer for that. I always say the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's so much fun for about 20 some years. I've tried to read a different translation in the Bible in its entirety every year. And I'll go back. Like right now I'm reading the new living translation again. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause it's kind of like what you just said, when you see it in a different way, it just, it's so powerful. Well, part of that is how, how deep, and thorough the scripture is. It, it's just not 
reading a, a, an average novel or anything like that. I mean, there's just so much meaning there. And each translator unpacks that and, and applies that to our thinking style at that time in history. And you can go back. I, I mean, I, I was just uh, in my Revised Standard Version uh, of the Bible, which is I've had forever, it seems like. And it's kind of fallen apart on me, but I, I refer to that. And even then, I will who I am now and who I was when I read it, there are new insights. And, and the scripture is just alive. It, it's such a living word. I, I love the title of the living Bible for that reason. Uh, when it when it came out, I zoomed, you know, I went through that over and over again. And uh, you just, uh, I, I don't know how anybody could ever put it down. <laughs> I'm pretty sold out on re reading the Bible too. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about your church life, uh, how you're involved, uh, how you've been involved. You mentioned a little bit at the beginning. Uh, maybe unpack that a little bit. And, uh, uh, and, and then uh, tell me a little bit, any share of uh, uh, stories that you could share about the incivility, even in the church, uh, that sometimes, uh, probably not in your church, but in other churches might pop up. <laughs> Um, I'm in a unique scenario. Um, I, I volunteered for about seven years as a full-time teaching pastor at a local church, and it, it was um, one of the most powerful times in my life. I watched hundreds of people come to Christ, I baptized them. I found out that teaching the Bible in a relevant way really gets uh, people's attention, and especially an addict. God blew addicts through the doors, and they would surrender their lives to Christ. Where I came from is my, and where I attend now, is my great-great-grandfather co-founded a church 123 years ago, and it's near my home, and uh, my brother is the senior pastor, and so we're back there, and the philosophy of it is every person is a minister. Every person who surrendered his life to Christ is a minister, so your ministry is your life. We don't necessarily try to pull you out of your life and put you in um, nonprofit corporate programming, uh, and there say you're a minister now. Um, there, there is some of that, uh, those opportunities and what the church's initiatives are, but it's basically that your life is a ministry and each one's a unique watermark. And I, and I just think that's so powerful because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And wherever we go, we take worship, evangelism, discipleship. And so I've watched uh, hundreds of lives be transformed. The church is baptizing 120 to maybe 170 people a year. It's just incredible, a lot of growth. That being said, I've only experienced, I've been blessed, I've only experienced a handful of uncivilized, um, what would you call that? Um, oh my goodness, heated fellowships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, so, I, and I think a lot of that is uh, when your heart's in the right place and you're applying the scriptures, you can nip a lot of that in the bud. But usually, what I see, it's it'll usually stem from, and this is what's sad. Any the risk of anyone who takes his or her faith seriously is that they go on autopilot and they turn it into religion. And there's a particular theological bent that they have. They might get all their teaching from basically one person, let's say outside the church, and they want to make all their decisions based on that person's teaching. Whereas, you know, scholarship 
means that we look at the whole, we see everything, we see both sides. And a lot of times, you know, denominations, they have their different theological tenets, but they base those on their interpretation of the scriptures. It's just two different ways of looking at interpreting the scriptures, and they all intended to, to handle it with care, or most all handled, wanted to handle it with care. So again, I think we can find common ground best we can, but some people just can't get past that. You know, if you teach a particular passage and you didn't bring it back to the, whatever the pipeline, party line, <laughs> home run, uh, theological tenet is for that guy's teacher or his background, um, then they get upset and they want you, you should have said this, or you should have said that. And that's usually where I see the foundation. It's either that, and I'll call that a stone heart, um, rigid, legalistic things all get, get filtered through this grid, or it's a sand heart, loose, licentious, blows in the wind, needs a storm to be restored. And it's somebody who wants to make a selfish decision, um, that is apart from scripture and they kind of bring that into the church with them. So it's, it's one of those two things, both are selfish, um, and, and a stone heart needs a severe tool to be restored. Um, but God wants us to have clay, humble hearts. And you had a chapter on humility that I thought was very powerful. Humility was a negative term 2000 years ago and Jesus and Paul brought it back uh, to be a positive term. I think it literally meant the dusty ones. And in Hebrew, it, it means to bend or stoop to one who is inferior, to bend the knees in my heart would be the definition I would give for that. And it, it happens in our relationship with God first and vertically, and then that should take place horizontally in our relationships with others. And it's a picture of the cross. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, you're talking about your church. I've been to your church as a visitor. I like to visit churches. I feel blessed. I've been had the opportunity to consult about 1,700 churches in my career of um, about 78 different denominations along with non-denominational churches. And uh, I feel so blessed because um, I get in some churches that are, are really strong on that biblical content like your church is. And uh, your mention of the uh, everyone is a minister, uh, sometimes some churches call it the priesthood of all believers, which is one of the translations of scripture where that's taught in various places in scripture. And uh, uh, it just, uh, it is such a key element and so often not practice. It just hurts me uh, uh, so to see churches. Uh, but on the other hand, in reverse, to, to, to know your church a little bit from the outside and uh, the growth of that congregation, the people being baptized and how it just works to do it God's way. I mean, you shouldn't be surprised by that, but, but it, 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 it is so wonderful. I, I wish that uh, so many people, so many more people, Christians could see, church leaders could see how churches can reach people because our nation so desperately needs that, which is one of the reasons I wrote the book. So my final question to you is, would you recommend this book to others? And if so, why? I would. Um, my daughter was uh, coming back from a spring break being with her teammates and her flight got rerouted during this coronavirus uh, to Detroit, which is, became one of the hot spots. 
So we decided to drive up and get her because she had a three hour uh, layover. We could, you know, get her right away and, and be home in a couple hours. So um, I, my wife drove and I uh, started to read it when we pulled out of our driveway. I could not put it down. I could not put it down. I read it, I, I read it all. Um, I think by the time we got to the Detroit airport, I, I finished a little bit on the way back. I love the stories about your life. Those were just knowing you, those were really intriguing for me to read. The content is just so powerful. It got me rethinking about a lot of different things. Uh, you spent a lot of time talking about what goes on inside of us, on how we develop our values and mission and, and those kinds of things. And then you talk about how we process that in order to impact other people with vision or vocabulary, the vehicle, the, those things. And, and I'm still thinking a lot about uh, those teachings and, and how you brought it across. Um, but at the end of the day, um, my interpretation of what you taught, respect builds a bridge. And that's a bridge that we can walk across both ways with other people. And if we don't have that, then we'll never really be able to connect with another person's heart. And it's where we started at the top. That's God's design. And so I, it, it's so timely. The book is so, so timely. And I want to thank you for it. It really impacted my life. Well, Mitch, that means a lot to me. I respect you so much and uh, thank God for your ministry work in so many different ways and your influence on so many. And I really thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I think we could probably talk for several hours and have a lot of fun. <laughs> God bless you, my friend, and thank you so much. God's blessings on your work. Keep it up. Thank you. Take care. Take care. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.